Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For Every Day is Earth Day this morning, we are talking with Jay Drake Hamilton. She is the Senior Director of Science Policy at Fresh Energy and attended COP28 in Dubai. She's an expert in climate and energy policy at the state and national levels. Her responsibilities include scientific analysis and policy development of clean energy solutions to global warming that will maximize economic opportunities. Good morning, Jay, how are you? I'm doing great. Talk to you, Karen. Yes, thank you for visiting with me. You just returned recently from COP28 in Dubai, and you represent fresh energy at the Global Climate Summits, and you've witnessed some historic things, including the 2015 Paris Agreement. Tell me a little bit about what you do and how you came to, to do such an important thing. Well, I'd be happy to. I'm a climate scientist by training. And I've been working for Fresh Energy for 28 years now. And I aim to get Minnesota to the position where we are leading and speeding a Minnesota transition to the clean energy economy, one that's going to create good health for our region, a vibrant economy, and thriving communities for today and for generations to come. So I... I'm a 28-year veteran of doing this work, and I do a lot of communications about climate. In the U.S. alone, I've spoken formally and in person with over 200,000 Minnesotans. Um, So this was the eighth year I went to the Global Climate Summit, and this was a very successful summit, and I'd like to tell you some highlights of that. Yes, please do. You know, it's not everybody who gets to attend something on this scale. So uh, we appreciate that you are able to directly a Minnesotan to tell us what you you learned. So let's talk a little bit about the the COP28. What are some of the successes and maybe what were some of the failures you saw? Well, uh, it was held in Dubai in the country of the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. And it was the largest climate summit ever. 100,000 people. Wow. 85,000 people were there in person. Another 15,000 people were virtual, virtually at the conference, so they had permission from the U.N. to listen in on everything that was going on. Were you there in person, and, Jay? Yes, okay. I was. I was there for both of the two weeks, and I spent all day every day there. And I talked to a large number of people, including the lead diplomat from the United States. John Kerry is his name. Mm -hmm. He's the special presidential envoy for climate. And he works for President Biden. And he has been doing diplomacy for almost 50 years. So he's an expert. One thing that happened at the conference was that it was successful in all four of the pillars that they were setting out to do. First, The U.N. wished to fast-track a transition in clean energy to renewable energy and energy efficiency. 
and they did that. And the second thing, they fixed climate finance, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Third, they intended to focus on people around the world, lives and their livelihoods, their their reason for being alive still, and how they were going to raise successful families. And fourth, they intended and succeeded in mobilizing the most inclusive climate summit ever. And what that means is that the president of the Conference of Parties, which is called, which is what's known as COP, mm-hmm. um, he intended to make it available for as many people in as many countries as possible to attend the COP. So he was very successful at that. There were 198 countries represented physically in Dubai. And it was the most inclusive conference that I've ever seen, um, including what was most important to the hosts at the United Arab Emirates was to have as many young people there from as many countries as possible. And they did. They had a very large contingent of youth, and they were heard on the floor. So it was very successful. And then what were some things maybe that you would have liked to have seen happen that perhaps didn't? I didn't see any failures of the conference because um, the president of the conference, whose name is, well, his title is President of the Climate Summit, and his name is Al Jaber, that's his last name, So he is from the United Arab Emirates, and he sought out to, for about the last year, working with people from the UN and people from all over the world to make sure the conference would meet these goals. To give you an example, on the very, what was to be the last day of the conference, he realized that not everyone was agreeing to what he intended. And what that means in UN speak is the United Nations works on the basis of achieving consensus. Mm -hmm. So this is a climate conference, and it's about um, a climate pact that was signed by most of the world's countries way back in 1992. It was signed, some people will remember, some of your listeners will remember, that was signed in... Rio de Janeiro, at the 1992 Earth Summit. And that means that the nearly 200 countries who signed that pact, they all agreed that everyone who determined how they were going to achieve meeting the climate goals, everyone would have to agree on all that they intended to do. That's what I mean by consensus. So... The president of the COP in Dubai learned that on the very last morning of the conference, they weren't quite at that consensus point. So he decided to extend the lifespan of the conference one extra day. And that meant that over 170 countries were able to be up all night until they reached consensus. And what they were waiting for is consensus from everyone there, everyone from around the world to agree 
that the world needed to mention in their language that the globe would be on the path now to transition away from fossil fuels. And the two main countries who didn't want those words fossil fuels to appear in their language included leaders from Saudi Arabia and from Iraq. So imagine if you're overseeing the work of nearly 200 countries, there were, to be exact, there were 198 countries trying to reach consensus agreement. Imagine if you're trying to work with 198 leaders with all their egos involved Mm -hmm. and all their big economies involved, and they include people from Saudi Arabia and Iraq who say, no, we don't agree that we should mention even fossil fuels, of course, are the number one source of the climate change problem. And you're also dealing with countries, including some of the smallest countries in the world that are island nations that are the most vulnerable to climate change. Places like the Maldives and places like the Marshall Islands that risk losing their whole terrain Mm -hmm. to coastal flooding as the sea level rises. So it was really a very good job of diplomacy that led us to the point that finally Saudi Arabia and Iraq agreed with the rest of the countries and put that in their conclusion of the conference. They also agreed on very, very big things. So the biggest thing they were working on, this was the largest climate summit since the one in Paris in 2015, where I was. And it was the first time the countries had to come together and agree on the realities of what climate scientists were saying, that they do not yet have a pathway forward for how to get to meeting the major climate goals. And what that means is that everyone in the world has to work much, much faster and harder. And the number one thing they need to do is make sure that we make sure that the greenhouse gas emissions that are causing the climate problem peak before 2025 and immediately after that decline very rapidly. Secondly, the goal is to cut greenhouse gases by the year 2030, only a few years from now, to cut those greenhouse gases by 43%. And the second goal is to cut greenhouse gases by 60% by 2035. So these are very rapid changes. And they also wrote into their agreement that all countries must develop a plan in their own countries to help achieve the global goal of tripling, tripling renewable energy globally and doubling energy efficiency globally. And both of those big goals must be met by 2030. So they were not lazy. They were not dragging their feet. 
They said what we need to do. And so when we'll know if we are in this position, we are waiting for all the countries of the world, including the United States, to come up with a new climate plan, more aggressive and more bold. And they must submit those new plans to the United Nations by very early in the year 2025. So it's about a year from now. And then all the countries will get together in Brazil in November 2025 to determine whether everyone has done and has put into place all the mechanisms they need to meet these global climate goals. So it's a big deal. So, Jay, on paper, you know, they're saying, yes, we agree to fast track the the transition to clean energy. Yes, we agree to encourage and do in renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And this is on paper, and they make this plan by mm-hmm. 2025, and they report it. But then what about implementing that? It's one thing to say all these things, but it's another thing to mm-hmm. have the infrastructure and things to make that happen, including financing that. Mm-hmm. So how does that all happen? It seems so quick. Yes. And the implementation has to happen all at the country level. So the very most important decision made at this year's climate summit was announced on day one. And it said, we have put into place plans to help finance the most poor countries who are the most vulnerable to climate change and get the money to them at reasonable um, rates of return um, so that these countries will have the money they need to help build their way out of climate vulnerability and to build in renewable energy in their economies. So this was an agreement that was made about a year ago in Egypt and the people who were working in Egypt, they also made sure to put into their agreement, we need to have this financial mechanism in place by the time we get to the United Arab Emirates. And they did. And so they have worked with the World Bank, who on a temporary basis is going to be running what's called the Loss and Damage Fund, And it is a way to get money from the richer nations of the world and the richer parts of the private sector all over the world to pay money into this loan mechanism that will go out to the poorer countries. But on day two of this climate summit, the United Arab Emirates announced something brand new to me. And they said, We are well aware that these poor and very vulnerable countries need to get loans from the richer countries um, at rates that are low enough that they can afford to pay the money back. Okay. And so they started a brand new fund called the Altera Fund, A-L-T-E-R-R-A. And it's based in the United Arab Emirates. And this country, which is a pretty small country, the United Arab Emirates, has about 10 million people. 
They committed on day two of the event, they said, we are going to put $30 billion of our money into this fund. And they went on to say, and we are going to work to raise a total of $250 billion for the fund. And this is a fund that will be focused on what they call the global south. That means most developed, most underdeveloped countries in places like Africa, the poorer parts of Asia, low-lying Pacific Islands, etc. To make sure that this very affordable loan money can be first accessed by those countries. And what I heard on day two, after they had made this announcement, and by the way, here we are in the U.S., so we have a much larger population than the UAE does. Mm -hmm. The equivalent of the U.S. committing $30 billion to this fund would be as if the U.S. were committing $1 trillion to the fund. So it, too, is a very, very big deal. Uh, are we giving t- um, $1 trillion to the fund, or is that just a number that's the equivalent? No, we are not. No, we are not. The U.S. is not. Okay, because I think that was but, what some of the resistance but, from people was saying, well, is the U.S. going to end up funding a lot of this? And some people are saying that's mm-hmm. not fair, that some should fund more than others. So I'm not sure how they work that out. Well, what people should understand is the discussion um, now for since the Paris agreements, where I was part of the, the discussions too, the discussion every year has been about most of the money in the world, every, any in any country of the world or anywhere in the world, is in the hands of the private sector. We have already seen many private businesses come forward and donate more and more money to this fund, but we need a lot more of them. And that's a point that our lead delegation from the U.S. has specified. Most of the money to help pay for these improvements that need to be made in the poorer countries, most of that money has to come from the private sector. So that is what we're looking to, the private sector, which of course is a global private sector. And how does do the people mobilize to to make this happen? I mean, are the people from coming from all sorts of countries to go out to these poor countries and actually do something, whether it's install renewable energy or, you know, I'm just trying to picture this on such, like I said, a global scale just mm. blows my mind. Yeah. Well, the world has already set up the mechanism for this, what is now being called the loss and damage fund. The mobilization is already beginning. And what that means is that it is the money is going to be run through initially through the World Bank and other multilateral development funds, and they will be seeking out more private capital around the world. And then the World Bank and many other multilateral development banks have great expertise in getting funding for renewable energy and getting renewable energy to be built in all sorts of environments in all sorts of countries. So there's a lot of expertise that's going to have to go from the more, the richer countries to the poorer countries. Um, 
but now a way has been set up to make that begin to happen. And we need to improve it over time, of course, and make it bigger over time. But the real, the real big win in the last year on this loss and damage fund is that these countries who are bearing the brunt of climate change, they have been saying now for 30 years to the rest of the world, we need your help. Mm. We need your help in modernizing our economies, not based on fossil fuels, but based on clean energy. And we need a few hands up to help us get out of this position. And finally, the rest of the world has agreed to that and now has set up the mechanism for that. So there are a lot of eyes around the world who will be watching it closely, but at least we now have that started. And you know what happened when the UAE announced on day two that they had started another bank to provide money specifically for the poorest countries in the global south? Then I listened and watched what happened when about 155 leaders of countries around the world were given time on the U.N. stage. They were each given about three minutes to talk about their country. I heard first from India. And you know what they said first? They said, their prime minister said, I want to thank the president of COP and the country of the United Arab Emirates for setting up this new fund that's going to be usable by India. Hmm. And he got great applause. And then other leaders from most of the other 155 countries also thanked the United Arab Emirates for doing that because that was new money in the game and also a promise to raise that amount of money from $30 billion to $250 billion in the next year. Are there any obvious countries that aren't a part of this, like the, the Soviet Union or others that are not being involved at all or don't want to be? Russia is also a signer of the climate pact. Hmm. So Russia was there. And Russia agreed with everything I've said. Really? Everything. So now what needs to happen, what needs to happen, and this is why Minnesotans should tune in and listen to me on Friday on the radio here, Mm -hmm. because I'll be going into more detail. And what they'll hear about is that now the hard work has to be done by all of us around the globe, especially in rich countries, because we need to achieve this tripling of renewable energy by 2030, and that won't be easy. So we need to make sure that happens and keeps the energy affordable and reliable in the U.S. So we have a lot of work to do, but it's very interesting because now we have support from all over the world. One of the things that works really well in the United Nations process is that when people have gathered in person and looked in the faces of other leaders from all the other countries in the world, and they've looked at each other, and they have dinner together, and they talk together, they really know those other people. And they feel a sense 
They need to hold up their portion of the total agreement, and everyone needs to meet this agreement. So that is what's at stake. And the way we'll know if it's working is if we see the greenhouse gases peak by 2025 and then to go down rapidly. So that is our holy grail. That's where we need to get because we need to make sure that the warming does not exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is about 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. What so will all we, the world has agreed to that. Jay, what will we see in, in our own backyards? What can people expect to happen? Will we notice anything? Will there be anything different? You know, because we're talking on this global scale, but to bring it to your own community, what can we expect? To, will we even notice other than hearing about it in the news? We'll know it in Minnesota because Minnesota has the best set of laws on clean energy development and climate action of any state in the nation. And that follows up on what President Biden signed into law in August 2022. And that was called the Inflation Reduction Act, IRA it's called. And it is now the law of the U.S. And IRA has committed for the next 10 years a total of $370 billion to go out to states around the nation to help us build renewable energy, energy efficiency, energy transmission lines, to carry them to places needed, and to subsidize things like electric vehicles and solar energy for buildings and electrification of school buses, things like that. Meanwhile, Minnesota in 2023 Our Minnesota legislature passed our 100% carbon-free energy law, and that will happen by 2040. That's the fastest in the country. Mm. And on top of that, the legislature passed that bill and took it to for the signature of Governor Walz, and he signed it on February 7th, 2023, and then the legislature kept on working. And the Minnesota legislature passed about 45 clean energy and climate actions into law. This is like the legislature passing in about five months what we normally would have passed in about 25 years. So it was historic. And you should be looking for the results of that. And that's what I'll mostly be talking about on Friday. That's tomorrow. And I hope people will listen in. So you will be addressing what's in store for the Minnesota climate and our energy policy in 2024. And do you have direct working experience with that, uh, that policy with our legislators? Yes. Yes. I've worked with the Minnesota legislature every year for the past 28 years. And I still work there. I'm not work for the legislature, but I work on behalf of Fresh Energy. Mm-hmm. and our team of about 40 people who are working to pass the boldest, most ambitious policies that will work well for Minnesota and save people money and improve everyone's lives in Minnesota. We are talking with Jay Drake Hamilton of Fresh Energy. She's the Senior Director of Science Policy and the expert in climate and energy mm-hmm. policy at the state and national levels. She will be 
speaking tomorrow, and it's open to the public. I will give the Zoom address for that. And I want to thank you so much, Jay, for your time in explaining all of this to us and look forward to hearing more tomorrow. And people will have time to get their questions answered tomorrow as well. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the time. And uh, what's next? Do you have another big meeting coming up? Yes. Governor Walz has just appointed me, I'm so proud, to his advisory council on climate change. So I'll be working as a volunteer there. I'll keep my regular job at Fresh Energy, but we'll be uh, making recommendations to Governor Walz on what more work he and the legislature and private sector in Minnesota need to do to take even more climate action. Well, congratulations, and I look forward to talking with you in the future about how things are progressing. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, Jay. We'll look forward to hearing you tomorrow. Bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.